Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, my name is Jess Phillips, and this is yours sincerely. I've always been a prolific letter writer, both the good and bad kind, and know the power of putting words on paper. So in this podcast, I want to give my guests a chance to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. And when we've heard more about each person, they'll reveal how they would sign off each letter. Bryony Gordon is a journalist, author and podcaster, best known for her wide-ranging work on mental health. She hosts Bryony Gordon's Mad World, filled with intimate conversations about getting unwell and getting better. She has also written books including Mad Girl, A Happy Life with a Mixed Up Mind. Her next book, No Such Thing as Normal, comes out this month on January the 7th. And today, I'm excited to talk to her about the letters she would send to three people who mean the world to her. So, hello, Bryony, how are you? I'm all the better for speaking to you, Jess. Oh... It's been a long time since I've seen you, Bryony, properly face to face. I feel like the last time was in that big church. Yeah, we like to meet in a church. Uh, yeah, yeah, but it was it was your book, wasn't it? It was. It was my book. And then before that, it was like on a barge. Yep, on a barge before I went on live television, which was an error in judgment on my part. <laughs> Anyway, it's nice to see you. It's, also, it's a shame I can't actually see you. I can actually see you because I've got eyes. <laughs> well, I mean, it's more that I can't like I can't be in the same room as you. But I, but it's probably for the best. So this podcast is all about letter writing. Are you much of a letter writer? You're a writer. You must write some letters. I do often write letters that I don't ever send to get stuff off my chest. Like, I, I think I must have... Someone must have recommended this. Actually, no, it was when I was in rehab. It was <laughs> it was recommended to write a letter but not send it, just to kind of put your feelings down. So, yeah, there are a lot of unsent letters on my laptop. Yeah, I have a lot of resignation letters from various different jobs, positions that I have written in the past that I have never sent, but I just have to get it off my chest so I like write down angry, uh, sort of terrible, self-indulgent often, like, and then don't send them. But And I find that that helps me get over things. Yeah, it's always like, I always think 
my initial like I always people talk about having like in like 12 step fellowships or whatever talking of rehab people talk about having like a higher power and originally I was expecting that to be like some spiritual kind of thing but I realized what my higher power is it's like my second thought it's not my first thought it's my second thought it's just it's like waiting a bit just just, is that a good idea Bryony do you really need to say that probably not If everybody had that higher power, the world would be a considerably better place. To take your second feeling on things, your first feelings on things are often the wrong feeling. I find that with my brother's been on the 12 step programme now for like four years. And I find that, you know, like you don't have to be religious, do you? But there is a sort of spiritual element to it, isn't there? That you have to sort of channel. So. I don't know what his superpower is. <laughs> it's him. His sobriety. It's, it's his superpower. His sobriety. That's my yeah, yeah. Higher power. It's that. It's the Coldplay song for me. That's what it is. Did you have to do that thing where you go and say sorry to everybody? Like <laughs> making amends. Yes. Yeah. 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 Did you write any letters to make amends? I won't ask I, you. I, to I, read I, as I said, many letters. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm probably going to get told off by my sponsor now. So I, I should just be quiet because I'm not supposed to talk about any of this. You're not meant to talk about your amends. Uh, well, as somebody who has had amends made to them, the funniest moment in the amend process for my brother was my husband with my husband. When he said, his, what amends can I make to you? And my husband just said, I would like this conversation to end. I don't, I don't I tell you what, the thing that you can do to make up to me, never talk to me about this ever again. I never want to have this conversation. I feel deeply awkward with this conversation. So let's just call it quits and finish here. I didn't realise, like, my name is Earl. I mean, obviously I should have, but I was too... Oh, no, I didn't I, know. I was too lost in my own alcoholism to be paying that much attention. But I'm like, oh, it's the whole thing is basically this guy having to get sober and do the ninth step, which is make amends except when it's not safe for you to do so. <laughs> Anyway, and I, I should shut up now. I mean, I, I won't shut up because that would make a terrible podcast. <laughs> but I should stop talking about the 12 steps because I'll just get told off. You'll get told off. Uh, I, I, I will f- I'll finish on my best 12 step story is that the amends my kids ask for is that my brother always brings pickled onion monster munch to the house <gasps> when he comes. Oh my and, God. and goes and sees any film they ever want to see at the cinema, ever. Like everybody else went just like, we just want to see you better. <laughs> <laughs> my my kids were totally mercenary and <laughs> were just like right what can we get out of this so he has to go to any film that they ever want to see at the cinema and no one else will take them and that he has to bring pickled onion monster munch to the house that sounds like a good yeah pickled um i'm really everybody crazy. else just went like just be a good dad <laughs> That's the amends you can make to us. My kids will like, on no. on you, monster munch. We don't care if you're a crap dad. <laughs> we just want the crisps. Um, Be a good have dad. you got any letters of note? We've had people who've had uh, letters from uh, prime ministers. We've got people who've had letters from the Queen, the Queen of Denmark. No, I haven't had letters from prime ministers. I haven't had any uh, letters of note. Oh, I, I have. <laughs> I've had a letter from the Duchess of Sussex. Oh, yeah, I mean... Yeah. That's mega. Uh, yeah, I've, uh, we've, we've exchanged a few notes. 
and I was embarrassed because my handwriting, like I don't know if you know Megan Comma, Duchess of Sussex, she was like trained in calligraphy when she was young. <laughs> so her writing is like really neat. And my, I sent her a card because we went out for lunch and I just to thank her and say how, you know, lovely it was to meet her properly. And I'd, my handwriting is just dreadful, which is probably why I don't write more letters. The last letter I had to write was like to my te- my, my daughter's teacher to tell her that someone was picking her up from school and my daughter was like I can't hand that to my my teacher mum that's really embarrassing you wouldn't get your (laughs) she's like you would not get your pen license and I'm like all right (laughs) but anyway so I wrote her a note and she wrote me back this like gorgeous beautiful handwritten note not my daughter's teacher Megan (laughs) Megan the Duchess of Sussex and her writing was just delicious I mean, that's pretty good. So far, you're the only one who has really been like, they had great handwriting. So the Duchess of Sussex. Yeah, I d- um, that's all I've got. I mean, is that okay? It's like, can I, can I? <laughs> that's literally, like, she's one of the most famous people in the whole world, I would argue. Yeah, that's that's definitely a letter of note. Yeah, I haven't had any Christmas cards from any, like, former prime ministers, not from the current prime minister. I've not had one from the current prime minister yet. Which is rude. I mean, maybe he's... My worry is that if he sat down and, like, started writing Christmas cards, people would be like, "What? why are you doing... Like, what the fuck are you doing? Writing Christmas cards? Have you got better things to be doing? Yeah, I mean, that he's got parties to attend. He's got wine and cheese parties to attend. So I have asked you to think about three different people that you would want to write a letter to to tell them how much they mean to you. It's all very nice, no particular cynicism, although feel free to be cynical if you like. And the first letter I asked you to think about in the first person was somebody just who means the world to you. So who would that be? Okay, so you are going to like, when I said, even just the thought of telling you who this person (laughs) is makes me feel like violently unwell because it's, (laughs) it's so contrary to everything I would want to say. But that's why I've chosen this person and I want to write a letter to myself because okay I I, I am so hard on myself like so to to kind of put some context in on this I am as you may have guessed an alcoholic in recovery I have like a history of mental health issues obsessive compulsive disorder depression eating disorders I could go on I won't because you know we want to be upbeat but I am so hard on myself the reason I've done it is because I I kind of want to give permission to people to pat themselves on the back a bit and just you know that whole cheesy thing of self-love but it's really important because if you don't have self-esteem you're good for nothing basically I know it's been slightly hijacked I'm gonna say by basically schmaltzy memes on the internet yeah prior to that schmaltzy like interviews on telly like but it you know fundamentally You know, it is quite important, even though it seems a bit schmaltzy. It does seem a bit schmaltzy, but I do think, like, it's like the key to everything. It's the key to... And I I certainly, I think in the last couple of years, while this pandemic's been banging on and on and on, like, it's fed into the very worst kind of elements of my head. So I always say that the things that all mental health issues have in common, from sort of anxiety to depression to eating disorders to psychosis and beyond 
is that they work by isolating you and they lie to you and they tell you you're a freak and they tell you you're alone and they tell you no one's going to understand what you're going through. And, and we know, of course, that's not true, but they work by sort of isolation. And so when you have this state-sanctioned isolation and this sort of permission almost to be alone and to cut yourself off, I think that can be really bad for someone's mental health. And it's certainly been really bad for my mental health. So I basically sat in this bedroom where I'm talking to you for more or less the last day 18 months telling myself that I'm a piece of shit the world revolves around (laughs) and of course it's not true you know everyone feels this way but I think sometimes I what I don't do is go Brady you're all right you know you're actually all right and I want to pat you on the back and then we can just get on with life and stop being so kind of self-indulgently self-loathing if that makes sense yeah the trouble is, is even in your self-loathing, you're self-loathing because you're like, it's very self-indulgent of me. Like, I mean, even like even the fact that I'm disliking myself is, is <laughs> essentially an act of selfishness I, on I, my part. But I do stop and I want to go, actually, Bryony, you are awesome. I'm not a bad person. And I, I've had obsessive compulsive disorder since I was a little girl. And I call like my OCD, Jareth the Goblin King, after the David Bowie character in Labyrinth, because he's, it's like, evil but ever so slightly enticing and Jareth for my whole life has like told me I'm the worst person that I might have a terrible illness that I'm going to spread to people that I might you know if I don't say this phrase right then my family are going to die you know which I've had since I was a little girl and then later on he's told me that I might be a serial killing paedophile who's blanked out in horror and I'm a terrible oh God, human. God, QAnon. Yeah. Therapist, he's <laughs> so, definitely he's a so, member of QAnon. I know, and, but look, this is really common with people with OCD and so he's basically, Jareth just spends the whole time basically trying to find ways to prove to me that I'm a bad person and I'm not a bad person. <laughs> I'm just a person and sometimes I do bad things because people do, you know, but like mostly I've done bad things because of say alcoholism or stuff that I work on every day so I want to write a letter to myself and just go god Bryony you're pretty cool like you're you're sober you've you know I set up something called mental health mates which I want to talk a bit about later and you ran a marathon in your underwear and you're like 16 stone like what more do you want to achieve in your life babes you interviewed prince harry about his mental health you know like you do good things just get on with it it's fine what do you think this is almost an impossible question to answer and i would literally loathe it if somebody asked me like what do you think is the best thing about you Bryony? <laughs> <laughs> isn't it awful that this is the conditioning there are plenty of my colleagues in westminster oh, who wouldn't find it hard I... to answer that question Because I could tell you what I think. What do you think is the best thing about you? I don't know. Tell me what you think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you're caring and you, you know, you decided to use your platform for a purpose beyond your platforms, for a purpose beyond anything that could be deemed selfish. Although there'll be plenty of people who'll queue up and say the alternative to me, but why would you walk along and march along with a banner with them rather than with the people who think that you did a good thing and are kind? Also, I think you wear it lightly. Doing a thing like setting up a charity, like being some people's touchstone, even if it's just one or two people, let alone hundreds or thousands of people, and you wear it quite lightly. I mean, maybe because you're a bit mad and you... (laughs) 
hate yourself. Maybe we all need a little, you know, maybe that helps you wear it a bit lightly. But, um, like, that's a really charming skill. Also, you're just a laugh as well, just, like, on a basic level. Just a laugh. I feel like everyone listening is going to be like, oh, she totally, like, talk about going on a fishing expedition. And that, again, is Jareth. Jareth's like, oh, you're such a dick, Brian. I'm like, shut up, Jareth. I'm just a person. The best thing about me is that I'm uniquely me. And and that's the best thing about everyone. Do you know what I mean? There's only one version of us. And, yeah, I do think I care. I mean, maybe I care too much sometimes. Um, it's like the kind of thing you say in a job interview. I mean, I just care too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just too on time. Yeah, I'm too on time. Uh, I don't know, yeah. Anyway, but so I really, what I want, the reason I did it, because essentially I'm a really selfless person, you know, I'm a really good person. <laughs> and really why I've done this, chosen me, is because I want to give permission to anyone listening to go, yeah, you're pretty awesome. Do you know what I mean? And to say to them, you know, like, do pat yourself on the back because, you know, we are way better than our brains will tell us, you know, we are on any given day. And we all think we're sort of the worst person and the only person thinking a certain way. And actually, the truth is, we're all just mad as a box of frogs and sort of brilliantly mad as a box of frogs. So, you know, I just that's that's why I chose me. But I do have I mean, I have other people I would like gratitude endless gratitude. I mean, with regard to the other people, if you think you're so awful, not just you, Bryony, but others, if you think, like, you must think very little of the people who love you. Do you know what I mean? Like, Oh, that's a good point. You know, like, so, like, my mates are excellent, so I must be all right. And if they're willing to do things for me and help me out or and just be around me, I can't be all bad, can I, is what I have to tell myself. I'm like, well, look, you know, I always just think... I can fit my husband and my kids on one sofa and I just think, well, we're all just in this tiny little space and that's all that we really need. And they're all right. So if they're all right, then I must be, you know, fair to middling. (laughs) You're brilliant. You're brilliant, Jazz. You are brilliant. You bring me, like, so much joy and... um, (laughs) Yeah, I think that's true. That's a, I had never thought of that. That's a really good bit of advice to give people, actually. Yeah, because people find it hard to advocate for themselves and think well of themselves because, well, fundamentally, because we were raised properly, basically, not to have too much of a bob on ourselves, not get above yourself, self-praise is no praise, etc., etc. Also, like, especially, like, by sort of baby boomer parents, they're very, like, you know, sort of... We live through the war. And my dad is always just like, all right, love, take yourself down a peg or two. Constantly. My husband once said I should write a self-help book called Take Yourself Down a Peg or two. <laughs> You're nowhere near as good as you think you are. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, we are able to see value in other people's views and opinions rather than in our own. So think, you know, if you've got lovely friends who seem to have good judgment in other regards, why would they be friends with you? Because I'm not friends with dickheads. No way. Just for is not friends with dickheads. No, not, not friends with dickheads. That is true. I have been. I've moved on and they've found other people who can get on with them better. That is a good title for a book. I'm not friends with dickheads. <laughs> I'm writing it right now. Um, <laughs> so, how would you sign off the letter to yourself? I was told to prepare this and, of course, I haven't. <laughs> I have literally never prepared for anything in my life, so uh, worry not. I, I've had to stand up and talk about fisheries and keep thinking. I don't even know what fisheries means. 
are fisheries? My son of my letter saying, Bryony, learn what fisheries are. <laughs> I would sign off my letter going, you're doing all right. And fundamentally, you're doing your bloody best. And that's all any of us can ask for. I think that that is totally fair enough. Just crack on, love, doing as best you can. <laughs> crack on. When you said that, um, you know, obviously the isolation, there's been huge amounts of worry about people with mental health problems and the isolation that they must be feeling. And funnily enough, my, my brother, he gave me an alternative view with lots of the people he was like, so his programmes went online and things. and But he said that lots of the people who he works with were like they quite like the instruction like do this at this time do that it's just like life became slightly simpler it's just like i don't have to make this decision stay at home <laughs> like i do find sometimes being in a lockdown isn't easy but what i do think is so the isolation i think is bad for people but the other thing which i think is not great is that thing of every day so like as that thing of like Nadine Doris claimed that people's mental health had improved because they didn't have to commute to work and I'm like I mean but the thing is doing things that you don't want to do on the daily basis is actually really good for your mental health so like one of the key things for good mental health I think is you know this connection with others but also challenging yourself on a daily basis so every day pre-pandemic we had to challenge ourselves on a daily basis like nobody wants to go to work and nobody wants to do that meeting with that or watch or anything but every day you kind of prove yourself that you can do those things and you're yeah, you're a bit of a legend and you pat yourself on the back. And so, of course, the pandemic is challenging. Like, don't get me wrong. And of course, this doesn't apply to people working in the front line or NHS, but sort of the more general population in office jobs, the less you challenge yourself, the more challenging life becomes. I mean, this is me speaking for myself. I found myself very depressed <laughs> and it's fine because I know what's the cause of it, but I, I can see it. It's what's what's unusual because I'm not, I'm quite used to depression but what is unusual is the sense that everybody else is feeling it too. You know, like that, that isn't, you know, that's it's sort of baseline. Yeah, for the first time, people who I'd never known experience anything beyond what would be the sort of acceptable norms of anxiety and depression. For the first time, I saw people who I never thought or expected finding it really, really difficult and challenging to be isolated and to not have any challenge in their lives and also not have any any sense of the sort of, I spare of the minute, there is no accidental, is there in the pandemic, it's just like you get a Sainsbury's and you might bump into somebody, but you won't be like, let's go and get a sandwich together and a cup of coffee. Like There's no incidental you know, the sort of moments of hearing an aria <laughs> if you were in a rom-com. There's no, like, meet-cutes. There is just the same thing. And that, I think, lots of people I know found it incredibly challenging. And I, yeah, saw for the first time people being properly, like, upset. Well, depression... You know, if you think about depression and mental illnesses, and I kind of do, they're, they're your brain's your brain misfiring there sort of your brain like so depression is so for OCD for example was my brain misfiring to try and keep me safe but it didn't that doesn't work but depression is your brain's way of trying to tell you that things aren't right in your life really I think lots of I mean there's people will go no that's bullshit but you know there's a lot of psychotherapists who agree that it's a sort of 
and it's your brain's way of saying something's something's not right here we need to we need to change things so it absolutely makes sense that the sort of baseline something wasn't right was it <laughs> yeah mood of the nation is uh is clinical depression actually you know and that's not like i don't i'm not saying everyone's depressed or anything like that and i'm not like undermining the word or the illness as someone who's experienced it but um it's sad it was sad Right, so the second letter I've asked you to prepare is about somebody who is no longer with you. So who would that be for? So I'd like to send to write this letter to my friend Andrea Colville, who died in July 2019, just before the pandemic. So Andrea, she had something called autoimmune hepatitis, which is really rare, but it mostly affects women and women um, is sort of childbearing age. So Andrea's developed while she was pregnant with her second child and she died when he was 10 months old. It sort of came out of, it really did feel like it came out of nowhere and she's so vibrant and she's so, you know, like... I sort of wanted to talk to her aide to sort of like raise a bit of awareness about autoimmune hepatitis. So I know there's lots of people that live with autoimmune disorders and there's an amazing, her husband, Rob, my mate, has set up a fund with the Medical Research Foundation and they're raising funds to, you know, to look into these autoimmune conditions because there's not much research into them. It's not, listen, it's, this isn't something that happens all the time. So I don't want to like put the fear of God into people. But it happened to her. Andrea was just a joyous person. So she was waiting for a liver transplant. And I remember going to see her in hospital in King's. I remember sitting there and even at her illest, she was sort of laughing and joking with me. And she was, we were sort of joking like how unfair it was that Andrea, who barely drank a drop, was in the, you know, waiting for a liver transplant. And then there's, you know, and, and the alcohol, you know, she was like, I've got so many alcoholic friends. Why am I the one that's here? In the letter, I wanted to say to her that her sons are, are like, they're doing really well. So her first son is my godson. And, you know, like, when you take on that godparent role, you don't really, like, you just think, oh, that's not, like, I know no one ever, like, Edward's my first godchild and no one had ever asked me to look up to like be a godparent before so it was like the moment where I was like oh someone thinks I'm a grown-up I was like I can't believe it and um you know the role essentially is if something happens to the parents or but anyway and so I really wanted to sort of tell her a bit about Edward and Alexandra and you know and how they're thriving and how Rob is doing a fucking brilliant job of bringing them up and how you know her mum and dad are still just like huge parts of their lives and always will be and how much everyone misses her really um wishes that she was here um so yeah I don't you know it was just just I think about her quite a lot I don't you know she comes to me and I'll dream about her sometimes and so do you like it when you dream about her yeah I lost my mum when I was 29 and I don't really dream about her anymore. But when I do, I'm utterly thrilled when I wake up. It is like, I really like it when I dream about her. Yeah. It's a nice thing. Yeah. I can hear her voice now in my head, you know. And, um, you know, Rob is like amazing and he's just sort of gets on with stuff. But, you know, he just does a great job with them. Did you expect him to? No, of course I didn't. <laughs> Rob no of course 
I know, but that's, I mean, that is what I, I've got two friends, two male friends who both lost their wives suddenly, one to cancer, one Joe Cox's husband. And like, you know, I didn't think that they were going to make like a, a hash of it, but like I never expected them to be as good as they've been. Yeah, well, I think, you know, you could only sort of go, what would I, you know, I imagine I'd be a mess. And yeah, he's just fantastic. We had lunch with them on Sunday and they're just, the two of the little boys are just gorgeous. And I love being around them. And uh, yeah, but he has done an amazing job. And I guess you just have to get on with it, don't you? Because like a 10 month, like a 10 month old and a four year old, they're going through their own thing. But they're, you know, a 10 month old is, oh God, just... And, and he, the 10-month-old, looks so much like her. It's just kind of really lovely to see that. I don't know if I have anything particularly articulate to say here. I just <laughs> I just wanted to kind of, like, mention her, talk about her, talk about the Medical Research Foundation and the amazing work that they're doing and, you know, and, and big up Rob. And also Andrea's mum, Sue, and her dad, Pat, they're, like, amazing. They're, like, legends. And I just, you know... Did she know how much she meant to you? I don't think she did, no. No, I don't think she did. So, you know, we had our kids at the same time and... I don't know, she was part of, like, the stability. Like, we we all... Like, Rob met her and I met my husband at the same time and we all, like... I don't know, and I... It's like sometimes you just take people for granted. Do you know what I mean? They're, like... They're there and they're fun and they're there on the weekends away and you're having, you know, we I remember we'd go for like runs and, you know, huff and puff and, you know, and then, and then they're not, you know, I didn't, before she got ill, I didn't really see her for like six months before she got ill and, um, yeah, and you just realise life is like so all over the place and I just think if there's, there are people in your life who are just fucking awesome, just tell them. You know, I was thinking about this. I have a friend who's not very well at the moment and I just was like, I'm just going to send them a message and tell them that they are like a glorious human being and their illness can't take that away from them. And 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 even if their illness physically takes their body from us, it can't take that soul ever and what that soul has given to the to the world. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm not... This isn't articulate at all, and I apologise. No, but it, it, the thing is, is you don't have to be articulate because your friend died, and that's really, really shit and really, really sad. But the thing that you want to tell her is that everything's OK. You still want to be like a, a friend to her and alleviate her worry, like you're trying to alleviate, you know, the worry that you... Inevitably, everybody would feel like, shit, is he going to remember to buy the right Christmas presents? Or, like, is he going to fall apart? And is, like, are they going to be okay? Are they going to be traumatised? Like, like that's the, all the things that would go through your head. And still, as your friend, what you want to do, even though she's not here, is make her feel better about, about things being okay. And also, just, like, things are okay, aren't they? Like, mostly... Shit happens to everybody and really shit things happen to some people and it's just unfair. But, you know, it's amazing what we can cope with. Yeah. And then, you know, and that thing of, like, she's not forgotten. Mm. She'll never be forgotten. No. 
Yeah, she's definitely not forgotten. I'm going to go and research autoimmune hepatitis. Especially if it especially affects women, because that is often the problem with rare diseases. If you don't get like breast cancer or prostate cancer, if you get like a rare disease, there is all sorts of problems with diagnostics and then issues around access to research because the pools of people to do it with aren't big. And, and, and the women thing, especially women of childbearing age, they often, the excuse they will lead back on is those women don't want to be experimented on, essentially, which no one ever actually tries or puts any money into it. So do that. And the Medical Research Foundation are fantastic. You know, they raise money for those illnesses, which other people, you know, don't. Um, so a big shout out to them and all the brilliant people doing hard work with them. Brilliant. So how would you sign off your letter to Andrea? Uh, you are still very much here with us. Oh, that's nice, isn't it? At my mum's funeral, my brother made a speech and he said that, you know, like you gave us a library's worth of inspiration. So we just go and take out a book whenever we need one. So you're still there, really. And that is a nice thing. We'll be back for Bryony's final letter after a short break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Right then, so the final letter I have asked you to prepare is a letter to somebody who doesn't know that they've had an effect on your life that doesn't realise how important they might have been to you. Okay, so this person doesn't know, uh, partly because they don't, they're don't, they dead, long dead, but also because, you know, I've never met them. So it's a writer, she's a, a writer called Carson McCullers. And Carson McCullers, she wrote this, well, she died quite young, but she, she wrote this brilliant book when she was 23 called The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. I had never heard of her until... 2016 and in 2016 I was really unwell like I had a really terrible obsessive compulsive disorder I couldn't I was still in kind of active addiction but I was in denial and anyway I forced myself out 
for a run or kind of jog in my local park and I was listening to this podcast about her. Well, it was on Radio 4 at the time and it was since it was a podcast that I think you can get on iPlayer, it was presented by Jarvis Cocker and it was all about her and about how she wrote really kind of exquisitely about loneliness and outsiders and otherness and she wrote brilliantly about the struggles of of black people in the American South, you know, before it was it was quite, you know, it was quite rare for a, a white woman to or a white person to write, you know, she was, I mean, I don't know whether this would happen today because, but she was really kind of celebrated for the empathy that she had, you know, in her writing. So anyway, anyway so he did this whole documentary about her and there was this archive audio footage of her and she said, sometimes it feels like everyone is part of a we except for me and that that really like struck me it really I was like that's exactly what mental illness feels like and I like I had this moment I was listening to it and I was looking out on the common and there were like all of these people like exercising together but then I thought if that statistic we hear so much about like one in four people will experience a mental health issue each year is true I'm literally within my field of vision there's probably like 10 people who have experienced something this year and yet there was you know there's nothing there's no way of anyone coming together and talking about that you know or there's no kind of public way and so I sort of went home and I said to my husband I've got this idea I've had this idea what if I do like walks and runs for people with mental health issues so they can get out of the house and they can get and they know they can go somewhere to be with other people without fear of judgment And he said to me, what if a load of nutters turn up? And I was like, that's the point. Anyway, I just sort of tweeted, you know, I've got this idea. Does anyone want to go for like a walk? And I'll be at this spot in this park on this date, which was Valentine's Day 2016, because like that's a shit day for everyone, whether you're like in a partner or not. I was desperate to meet other people like me who like, experienced the same things I had or who had this type of OCD that I had. Um, and I knew they were out there, but I, there was no way of like coming out and saying you were there. And uh, yeah, so I did. And to my amazement, 20 people showed up and that was the start of Mental Health Mates, which is now it's in 130 different towns and cities across the UK. And it's basically it's peer support for people. And what it does is people volunteer and they are given the resources to be able to set up their own walk in their own area and meet like-minded people. And um, it's like getting bigger and bigger. And there's nothing like apart from that original idea, it's now it's all people wanting to connect with others. And so anyway, I, I taught I always kind of quote Carson McCullers, but I I wanted to kind of acknowledge her because she lived during a time where there was nothing. There was nothing. And she had, I think she had rheumatic fever as a child, and which meant she had a series of strokes when she was very young and she was very unwell. And she she tried to kill herself on a number of occasions. And she died as eventually in her 50s of alcoholism. She had a brain hemorrhage. And her writing in itself is a thing of brilliance. Do you know what I mean? I, I just reread The Heart is a Lonely Hunter the other day. To have written at 23, it's like mind-blowing, you know? But to think that that can echo throughout the, you know, the, the time and because of something she said that someone happened to record in like, I don't know, it was like the 30s, do you know what I mean? 1930s. And there was me all those years later 
feeling sort of the same way. And, you know, it also reminds me that this stuff isn't, you know, we always talk about how there's an epidemic of mental health issues now as if it's a new thing. It's not a new thing. Like, people have always felt like this. People just haven't been able to talk about it. And she was one of the first people to properly talk about it and give voice to people that were, you know, were kind of, they were then described as kind of misfits and freaks and outcasts. So The Heart is a Lonely Hunter is, you know, it's about um, a mute deaf man and and the people that sort of come to, they're inspired by him and they come and they're, but they're also sort of slightly other and sort of slightly seen as outcasts. And so I just, I really wanted to kind of write a letter to her, not that I could match her writing and just say, you know, thank you for existing. Thank you for speaking your truth. And know, again, that you've really helped a hell of a lot of people. Do you feel like you have helped a lot of people? Oh, I mean, people help them. You should. <laughs> this is going back to like, no, I mean, God, no. I mean, I probably have, but I've only helped these people because I've needed to help myself. So, like, I always say, like, this isn't, like, I was... Ultimately selfish. No, but it was, because I was so <laughs> desperate to meet other people like me, because the people kept on saying, well, this is an illness, and I'd be like, but I think I'm literally the worst person in the world, because that's what it told me. And I so I knew, like, intellectually, that there were other people out there like me, but I had no... It was like a desperate, like, I'm going to write about this and talk about this in public with the platform that I have as a, you know, a jobbing hack on a newspaper. And and I was so desperate and it was sort of, it wasn't, there was no kind of plan. It was just, it was literally desperation. Like, please, 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 if you have this thing too, come and talk to me. And I came along to one of the very early sessions of Mental Health Mates and I made some friends there that I am still friends with. Yeah. And, like, we still talk to each other online and stuff, yeah. Um, I'd forgotten um, about that, Jess. (laughs) Yeah, it was at Clapham Common. I came because me and my husband were in, in London for the weekend and we used to live in Brixton. Well, we used to stay there in, in when we were in London. And so Clapham is literally a walk away. And I said to my husband, I'm just going to go along and walk around with people. And he was like, yes, please do find somebody else who is as mad as you and is like thinks that every, you know, I suffer from anxiety. And I went along and, yeah, I met some people there who also suffered from anxiety. And we walked around. I met your husband, I remember, and your kid in the, in a buggy back then. And, yeah, I mean, I, I, I had actually, with one of the women, I had, like, this sort of horrible moment where she'd written this brilliant thing about anxiety and I retweeted it. And then she was just getting loads of people being assholes to her because I had retweeted it and she sent me this thing saying, could you please, like, not... Could you undo it, please? Because I'm too anxious at the moment to deal with your horrible people. But all power to your elbow that you have to deal with these people. And that made me want to successfully work with uh, some of the social media companies about putting in new things about pylons and how retweeting and, and blocking different conversations based on that meeting that I had at Clapham Common, based on me not wanting to inspire hatred against people who just deserved a platform for their brilliant ideas about anxiety. It's a brilliant idea, especially for people who are more fearful of, like, for want of a better word, sort of clinical, organised, therapeutic 
sort of like it's like a gateway drug if you will of uh, of saying you know i can go for a walk around a park and talk to other people who might be a bit like me and then maybe i could think about going and speaking to a counselor or maybe i could think about going and asking for some medication and i think it is a brilliant gateway drug and also i think there's something quite powerful about walking and talking because you're side by side you don't have to look straight in the eye which when you're suffering is really hard do you know what I mean it's hard to leave the house when you're suffering do you know what I mean like let's I mean just actually forget that scrap that it's hard to get out of fucking bed do you know what I mean so like it is and the early walks I remember you'd see people turn up and they thought if I don't go and give that person a hug right now they're gonna bolt it you know they're going to leave because they're like, what the fuck am I doing? This is, you know, silly. And then you'd give them a hug and then an hour later you'd see them going off for coffee with people, you know? And it's like that ability to be able to talk about like how shit it's been to try and get, you know, therapy or something or how hard it's been or, you know, what it's like being on this. Did you have this thing? Do you know what I mean? And it isn't therapy. Like we're very clear it isn't therapy, but it is like it's fellowship I guess and again I think the thing that has helped me most in in getting better from my myriad (laughs) mental health issues has been like the thing that has kept me in them is shame like that sense that I am the worst person that like shame keeps you sick but I remember in treatment being told like shame dies when you expose it to the light and when you find other people and you say I have this thought this is the thing and they go oh that's yeah that's cool that's I have that too sometimes I'm like remember when I was a little girl and I had these OCD thoughts these intrusive thoughts I was terrified of telling anyone them because I thought they are gonna like just they're gonna call the police they're gonna like I just thought they're gonna think I'm the worst person in the world and you know it's it's batshit crazy for me to now think that I literally talk about them like on podcasts, on television, I write books about it, I write about, you know, like the, the like little Briny, like nine-year-old Briny is like, no, that can't be me. That's obviously someone else. And like, you know, so I know what it's like. And so, yeah, so meeting other people like you and realising you're not a freak, you're not you're not awful you're just a human with a brain and brains are a bit like they they misfire like all of our organs do and we don't there's no kind of like special moral judgment when you've got like a skin condition or a heart <laughs> or a heart defect you know yeah, that's it. tennis elbow yeah people don't like go when he was asking he was asking for that tennis elbow. and people don't go oh she <laughs> she's got she has to wear glasses do you know what i mean like <laughs> It's her own fault. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, whereas stuff with the brain, people are like, oh, and I'm like, oh, fuck off. Just know you're you're normal, you're wonderful. You are, the, the, And the most normal thing in the world is to feel weird, you know? Yeah, definitely. So how would you sign off to Carson McCullough? I'd say you were part of a we, babes. Oh, no, that is what you should say. You, you were part of a we. Incidentally, my mum used to say to me, as a good socialist that she was, she used to say, it's we, not me, sweetheart. <laughs> it's we that matters, not me. I find my head is always in a much better place if I'm thinking of a we. Well, Bryony, with your choices that were Bryony Gordon and... <laughs> 
which is my favourite one. I like that one. Andrea Colville and Casa McCullis. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. And you're definitely part of my we. And if you think I'm brilliant, then you just think, well, Jess can't be that bad because she thinks you're brilliant. You are brilliant. And thank you. And like, what a lovely, oh, what a lovely hour of my... What lo- I know, it's like therapy. <laughs> oh, it is. I've loved it. I'd had to, I'd had to try and like, um, when I spoke to Lorraine, I'd spent the morning talking about dreadful cases of child sexual abuse and then they were like I hope you've got something slightly better later and I said oh well, actually I'm interviewing Lorraine for an hour which is literally like eating cinnamon hot Aww. toast isn't it I was like that love it, Lorraine that's considerably better oh god she's just the nicest she's woman she's so nice isn't earth. she she's so like interested yeah it's like genuinely yeah. she must be feigning some of that <laughs> but she's it's like genuinely interested when someone from Love Island's on Lorraine <laughs> <laughs> she she really like I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, I love. I will you will you come on my podcast? <laughs> of course I will. I'll come on and talk about being mad. Wonderful. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips. If you want to hear more conversations just like this, make sure you follow Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips on the podcast provider of your choice. And why not write a letter to your friends, telling them all about this podcast. And you can also follow us on social media. We're at Jess Phillips Pod. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.